Heavenly Father, it's our desire to, to build our house on a firm foundation. And we confess that so often our feet feel like they're on sinking sand. And so right now we ask that you would open our hearts, our ears, our eyes to behold the wondrous things found in your word. And may all of the glory go to Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask to make these truths plain to us. And it's in the name of Jesus we say, amen. So here in our passage this morning, James is going to transition from a discussion in verses 1 through 18 of the trials of life into a discussion between the difference of true Christians and false Christians. Between those who have the righteousness of God and those who pretend to have the righteousness of God. And James is going to show us three things this morning that I'd I'd like for us to wrestle with this morning. First, in verses 19 and 20, you're going to see that James shows us that true Christianity should saturate all of our relationships and all of our behaviors. And then in verses 21 through 25, he's going to teach that true Christianity not only hears the word of God, but actually does the word of God. And then in verses 26 and 27, he's going to show us that true Christianity involves both holiness in your personal life and love for those who are suffering around you. So let's, let's jump right in. Look with me at verses 19 and 20. James writes this. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, our God is a God of relationships. He created us to have a relationship with him and relationships with one another. And one very important aspect of any relationship is the skill of listening. Husbands, nod, nod your head. Right? Out, you know what I'm talking about. Right? I'm going to ask the wives what is the, the one thing they complain about all the time when they're husbands. Well, they're not listening to me. Right? And we've all been there. We've had those moments where we've pretended to listen to someone else talk to us. Right? We, we didn't really hear a word that they said, but we nodded along and acted like we heard everything they said. And then we walked away and we're like, what were they talking But listening is really a form of loving one another well. It shows that you care. It shows your respect for that person. And it's something that we often struggle with as humans, right? I remember one really particularly busy season of ministry. And I I thought like every night coming home late, working overtime. And when I came home, I felt like I had nothing left in the tank, right? Overwhelmed, stretched too thin, and wasn't really paying attention to my kids' needs well. And I remember feeling just impatient and and exhausted and irritated all, all the time. And yet there was this moment that the Lord used to show me the importance of listening well. I didn't get through this very well first service, but... Hopefully, it's a little easier this service. 
So I came home and one of my boys was really excited to tell me something that had happened. Well, maybe not. I said it during first service, like, I know better than to put stories about my boys in my sermons, but I do it anyways. I don't, it's, you know, sorry in advance. So that I come home and he's really excited to tell me what had happened that day. And he begins to share and he's hurriedly blurting out, Pop, I want to tell you something. I promise I'll tell you really fast. And I, you know, I feel his frustration in this moment. And so I interrupt him and I said, look, bud, you can tell me. And you don't have to tell me fast. Just tell me slowly. And he looked up at me and he said, well, then listen slowly, Pop. And I remember feeling the weight of that statement. Because I wasn't listening slowly. And God has given us two ears and one tongue. And someone once said that this is a hint from God that you and I should listen twice as much as we talk. Listening well is a godly virtue. And it, and it helps us to build good relationships with one another. This can be summarized in the book of Proverbs. And you don't have to turn there, but if you want to jot it down, it's Proverbs 17, 27 through 28. It says this, Whoever restrains his word has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. For when he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. It's kind of like the old adage, right? Better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Many of you feel that on occasion when we say things. But when we learn to control our tongues, to consider our words before we speak, we keep ourselves out of all sorts of sinful situations. Thirdly, James is reminding us how important it is to not become angry too quickly. Because how often do we speak in anger and hastiness and in the heat of the moment, we quickly regret our words. When we learn to control the emotion of anger, we eliminate one of the most common sources of unwise speech, according to James. Because angry speech is sinful speech. It reflects our lack of wisdom. And it does not produce righteousness in us, which is a demonstration of the power of God's word in us. Wisdom from God manifests itself in conduct, which is quick to listen, slow to speak, and which refuses to give way to anger. This is the righteous conduct which God produces in us through his word. And it reflects his very character. To react quickly and in anger is to act in a way that's inconsistent with the character of God as revealed to us in his word. 
Now, it's not saying that anger in and of itself is sin. But it's what you do while you're angry. It's the words that you say when you're overcome in those moments. And the way that God works in us and through us is not by taking our nasty or malicious anger and somehow just making it all right. But the way God works through us is is through his word. In the beginning of chapter 1 in the book of James, he speaks of the word of God in terms of God giving birth to us as new creatures. And here he's looking at God's word in terms of something being sown or planted, which brings about a fruitful harvest. The word of God is intended to take root and slowly change who we are, to mold us into the image of Christ. And now as we turn to the rest of the chapter, verses 21 through 27, James's point is going to become a little more clear. Because those who have been saved by the word of God through Christ Jesus must accept what that word teaches. And then you are called to actually live it out, to put it into practice. Look at what he says in verse 21. He says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. James is encouraging us to remove the sinful behaviors that defined who we were before we became Christians. Just like someone takes off dirty clothes at the end of a day. A Christian must be willing to remove morally filthy actions in their own lives. To cast them off. Now I'm not talking about perfectionism. That, that at some point we've gotten to be so holy and we've dealt with all the sin we'll ever do and our struggle will just go away. This is a lifelong struggle. Like you put on clothes every day and they become dirty, you will continually for your entire life put on the righteousness of Christ, stain it up with your sin and be called to remove those sinful garments from your life. James is speaking of rampant wickedness. And he's making the point that sin is relentless. It will never leave you alone. And it comes in many different forms, and your battle with it will never stop till the day that you die or till the day the Lord comes in glory. It's not going to go away any more than you can put on clothes that won't become dirty. Paul speaks in Galatians 3.27 and also in Romans 13.14 of putting on Christ as one puts on a garment. That we are to wear Christ like a garment. And But James, on the flip side, is telling us the opposite process. The continual need to strip off the dirty clothing of human sinfulness. Now, the tricky part of this verse is this phrase, the implanted word. And the emphasis here falls upon allowing the word that we've heard, the word that we've received, 
the same word that has given us life to continually influence and saturate all of our thinking and doing. Is God's word shaping everything that you are and everything that you do? Don't let the word of life fall on deaf ears. Ask the Holy Spirit to change you. To let God's word mold you and make you in the image of Christ. When James commands us to receive the word of God meekly, he's reminding us that at one time, you and I were all beggars. And we must learn to take the ways in which God works through his word in our lives with open hands and open hearts. And sometimes it's slow. And sometimes it's fast. And you must be willing to allow God to strip you of all the sinfulness through his word with thankfulness in your hearts. James is directing us to the day ahead where we will one day stand with God in perfection and completion. This is what James is telling us when he says that the word is able to save our souls. It's something that will happen when we stand before Christ and the truth of the gospel has made us who we are, who we are intended to be. God begins his work in you and I on the day of salvation and he will complete it on the day in which we stand before him. Made holy and perfect and blameless. And because we have been made alive, God's people are called to be about the task of daily stripping off your sinful behaviors like you would take off dirty clothes. And then receiving meekly the good things that God has to give us. You should never think in your Christian walk that you have now arrived. That your struggle with sin will somehow dissipate as you become holier. God is about the business of transforming our hearts and our minds. And it means for us to daily strip off the sinful behaviors and lean heavily and only on the word of God. Now, if there's anything like a thesis statement in the book of James, it's verse 22. Look with me. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Now, to delight in hearing the word of God or even in reading it and be content without doing what it says is a terrible deception. Yet how many of us have done this very thing? Because many mistake Christianity as a religion that comes, that means coming to church and simply listening. We sit and we hear and that's the end. Chuck Swindoll gives this really fantastic illustration in his book, Improving Your Serve. And he says this, he says, let's pretend that you work for me. And in fact, you are my executive assistant in a company that is growing rapidly. I'm the owner, and I'm interested in expanding my business overseas, 
So to pull this off, I make plans to travel abroad and stay there for six to nine months until this new branch gets established. And I make all the arrangements. I move my family to Europe for six to eight months, and I leave you in charge of the stateside operations. And I tell you, I'm going to write to you regularly. I'm going to give you detailed directions and instructions. And I leave, and you stay. And months go by. And a flow of letters are mailed from Europe and received by you at national headquarters. This was clearly before email. And I spell out all my expectations, all the instructions. And finally the day comes and I return home. And soon after my arrival, I head down to the office. And I'm stunned at what I see. The grass and weeds have grown up high outside. Even some of the windows along the street are broken. I walk into the receptionist's room, and she's sitting there doing her nails and chewing gum and listening to her favorite radio station. I look around. The waste baskets are overflowing. The carpet hasn't been vacuumed for weeks, and nobody is concerned that the owner of the business has now come home. I ask about where you are. Nobody seems concerned that you're not around. One guy finally says, oh, I think he's down the hall over here. Disturbed, I move in that direction, and I bump into you as you finish your chess game with the sales manager. I ask you to step into my office, which has been temporarily turned into a television room for watching afternoon television. And I ask you, what in the world is going on? And your response is, well, what do you mean? Well, look at this place. Did you not get any of my letters? Letters? Oh, yeah, sure, we got every one of them. As a matter of fact, we've had a letter study every Wednesday night since you've been gone. We we divided the personnel into small groups, and we discussed a lot of the things that you wrote. Some of those things were even fairly interesting. And you'll be pleased to know that some of your staff have even committed to memory some of the lines that you wrote in those letters. One or two of us even memorized an entire letter. Great stuff in those letters, boss. Great. Okay. Okay, you got the letters. You studied them. You meditated on them. You even committed some of them to memory. What did you do about them? Do? We didn't do anything about them. This is exactly what James is talking about. It does you no good to sit in this church and listen to the word of God if you don't do anything with it. It's pointless to sit in a Wednesday night life group or to send your kids to Awana if you don't do anything with the word of God that they're learning or that you're learning. The problem that James is addressing is that there are some Christians in the audience who simply hear the word but are content not to do it. And James is telling us that these hearers have been deceived. 
Because you might even sit there thinking you're secure before the Lord. Because you show up to church, or maybe one day you pray to prayer, or you've put a check in the offering basket, or you spend time reading the Bible. But if the Word of God is truly implanted in your heart, and you've truly received it with meekness, then that word should set off an intense struggle with your own sin. And James is describing these terms in which we need to continually strip off that sin like dirty garments. Those who do not do the word don't struggle with their sin. They're content to sit in it. They're comfortable wearing their filthy garments. And they might even make a profession of faith in Christ. But they show no sign whatsoever of actually following him. Those who truly hear the word of God, who who listen to what it says, and then put the words into practice, demonstrate that they are putting the wisdom of God into action. And as a result, their conduct reflects the righteousness of God. James is echoing the words of Jesus in Luke 11.28. He says, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. This refers to both hearing and practicing the commands of God's word. You can't call yourself a Christian if you don't practice your faith. It's not something that a prayer magically transforms you into this amazing disciple. You have to work at it. It's hard. And it's a daily struggle. Because your sin is constantly attacking you and coming after you to bring you away from Christ's righteousness. James now uses a vivid illustration to press home this point. The person who merely hears and who does not do what the word commands behaves as follows. Let's look at verses 23 through 25. He says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now the mirror that James is talking about is God's word. And when we look into God's word, we are able to see ourselves as we really are. No man looks at God's word and thinks, look at how righteous I am. They think, woe is me. I am undone. I am a sinner. I am in desperate need of a Savior. That's the point of the law. Because it's such a beautiful thing for us when we look at God's word and we realize how desperate we are for Christ. God's word should lead us directly to the foot of the cross. And then from there to beings that pursue him in all that we are. 
But some are satisfied with looking in the mirror of God's word and thinking that we've accomplished all that God desires for us. But what happens to this man, according to James? It says, after seeing himself in the mirror, he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Out of sight, out of mind. Now, some of us, when we wake up, we look in the mirror in the morning, we might want to forget what we look like, right? But it's a great tragedy to gaze into God's word and forget what we've seen there. The contrast between being hearers and doers could not be greater. One is self-absorbed and the other is focused on God's word. One is self-absorbed and one is focused on God's word. And James tells us that the law of God is not a code of bondage, but a law that sets people free. A law of liberty. But how can James call the law a law of liberty? When that law contains a series of commandments which we are called to obey. How can the demand to obey be a call to freedom? Many of you kids are thinking that when your parents tell you things. How can the call to obey be a call to freedom? And how many of you have ever driven on the wrong side of the road? Maybe if you're in England or Ireland, like that would be okay, right? Even recommended. But if you do that down Highway 243, you're either insane or you're a fool, right? <laughs> Some of you did that this last week. You're taking in a huge risk by driving on the wrong side of the road. And the law that requires us to drive on the right side of the road isn't bondage, it's freedom. It keeps us from chaos and disorder and harm. And because of those laws, because of that law, the law of liberty, we can have life. We don't have to have a head-on collision. Dr. A.T. Schofield pointed out that there were three sorts of dogs in the city of London where he lived. The first was the wild, masterless dog that roamed the streets at will, stole his meals from garbage pails, and often were killed by the Humane Society. Then there was the chained dog, which could not be trusted for more than a few feet. And then there was the dog that knew and loved his master and responded obediently to his voice. The first dog had liberty but no law. The second had law but no liberty. Whereas the third dog enjoyed the perfect law of liberty. Now Dr. Schofield said that all men seem to be like one of these three dogs. I'm not calling you dogs. I'm just, just an illustration here. He said that the masses are utterly lawless when it comes to the authority of God. They're dominated by sin. And the Bible tells us in 1 John 3, 4, that sin is 
lawlessness. And then there are many who are like the dogs on the leash. They have the law, but no liberty. They're legalists in the religious realms, Pharisees, cheerless representatives of thousands who, being ignorant of God's righteousness, go about trying to establish their own righteousness because they have not submitted themselves to the freedom of the righteousness of God. He said, but this third man, the Christian who knows the truth of deliverance, needs no chain, but is guided by his master's voice. We need both law and liberty to have life. And the law of God is not bondage. It's freedom. You should not look at God's law and begrudge it. Because through it, God is offering you freedom in life. Now let's look at these last two verses. Verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained by the world. The point James is making here is simply that true religion is not evident in your words, but in your actions. That those who hear and do the word of God learn to tame their tongues They remember the poor, the afflicted, the suffering. And they make every effort to avoid being contaminated by the sin of the world. Jesus lays this out perfectly in the parable of the sower. As he says how God's word is scattered to the hearers. And how different people respond to that hearing. It's in Matthew 13, 18 through 23 if you want to jot that down. And he says this, Hear then the parable of the sower. And this is as Jesus is explaining it to his disciples. He says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the seed that was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a little while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the worlds and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. At the end of the day, the situation that James is addressing in these verses is this, that there are always going to be people in our midst who hear the word and make a profession of faith, but there's no demonstrable evidence that these people are truly Christians. They are simply hearers of the word. And when persecution or trials come, 
these hearers become just like those persecuting them so as to avoid those trials. There are people that don't listen. They act rashly or in anger. They don't tame their tongues and they don't help the helpless and don't avoid thinking and acting like non-Christians. They're not even interested in doing these things. For those who only hear God's perfect law, it is a gigantic burden for them to follow it. And church, let me tell you, that is, that is the test right there. If it is a burden for you to follow God's law, you need to have some words with God and check your heart. Because the, the law is freedom. James says that some of these prefer to gaze at their own image rather than to delight in the law which reveals the righteousness of God. There's nothing wrong with looking at God's word and seeing your sin. That is its intent. The problem then lies as you've been revealed that sin in whether you cling to that sin or you cling to Christ as your righteousness. For there is no other way. There is no other response. James is reminding us as followers of Christ to not be like that. To take what is in our head, to take what we hear, and take that and make its way down into our hearts so it becomes who we are. And then from there, it moves into our lives as action, as reality. And because God has brought us from death to life and implanted his word within us, we are called, we are given the gift of being doers of his word. Not to earn something from Christ, not to add our own righteousness to the mix, but it's because Christ died for our sins and has given us the righteousness of God, even when we didn't deserve it, that we get to follow him and obey him. Because of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, because of his obedience to the Father, obeying God's word is no longer a burden. It's an exercise of freedom that was won for us by Christ alone. Church, these are, these are some hard words this morning. And some of you might be sitting there questioning where you're at. And maybe for far too long you've listened as hearers of the word and have done nothing with it. But the free gift of God remains a free gift. You don't have to bring anything to the table to receive salvation. But once Christ has called you to salvation. He says, come, follow me. And he will transform you. He will make you holy. He will sanctify your hearts. And he will make you more like him. We need to be patient with one another 
and with ourselves as this process happens in our lives. Sometimes it's a little slower than we think it should go. And sometimes it's a little faster. And the amazing thing is, is that God has given us one another in order to encourage one another to live in this way. That you don't have to struggle with your sin by yourself. But he's given you brothers and sisters in Christ to lean on, to hold you up, and to point you back to Jesus when you feel like wearing those dirty clothes all day. So the call today is to not simply be hearers, but to take the word that has been implanted in your hearts and to start living it. And only the Holy Spirit can tell you what that looks like for you. Lean on him, depend wholly on his word, and remember that Christ has already redeemed you from your sin. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together, church. Heavenly Father, it was good for you to sacrifice your son for the sins of the world because it was the only way. There was no other way in heaven or on earth by which men could be redeemed except by the blood of Christ. And you offer that gift to us freely. No strings attached. And yet, Lord, once you have given us that gift, once you have shown us yourself in Christ, Lord, what can we do but, but follow you? To cast off our old self and to put on the righteousness of Christ day by day and to live out the beautiful word of God as it's revealed to us. So, Father, we ask you, by your Holy Spirit, help us to not be just hearers. Help us to be doers. Not for our glory, but for your glory alone, that many would know the plan that you had for us in Christ and would come to know you. Lord, may our our submissive lives point others to Christ in every, in every way. We thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that although sometimes it's heavy, we know that through all that you love us completely. Do with us what you will. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Christ's name we say, amen.